0: This is Scott Becker with this special joint episode of the Becker's Healthcare Podcast and the Becker Business Minute and Becker Private Equity Podcast. We're talking today with Robbie Allen. Robbie's a gifted leader of a private equity-driven gastroenterology endoscopy company, 1GI, and hopefully I'm describing that correctly. We're going to talk about the following. What's happened with physician employment over the last couple of years has been dramatic evolutions in it. At one point, it was physician practices and some larger practices. Then it became, of course, over the last 20 years, hospital employment of physicians, and that went from being sort of a small, sporadic thing to really a dominant model of physician engagement. So now you've got situations like Amazon employing physicians or through directly or indirectly through like One Medical, United Healthcare through Optum, being one of the largest of employers in the country of physicians, Walgreens, Boots Alliance, also being a large employer, of physicians, CVS, and so forth. And finally, you've got private equity-driven companies, also with practice management platforms and so forth, either aligning with or employing physicians, Uh, and and it's led to uh, a lower number of physicians in total that are, quote-unquote, independent. I don't know if that's good nor bad, but it's a fact. And Robbie, how do you sort of make hay of all this? How do you sort of look at all this? Not make hay, but how do you look at all this? What's the future of physician leadership, physician employment? Um, and why does it matter? I think it's,
1: it's, a, it's a fascinating topic to, to look at. Um, medicine being one of those last businesses, along with academia, to sort of be disrupted, if you will, in terms of how we think about what it looks like. They're sort of the stalwart industries that have yet to be um, seriously moved around. I think you, know, you hit the nail on the head for the broad categories of employment for doctors, whether they're with private equity, whether they're with a hospital, whether they're with a large employer like Kaiser or Amazon, the landscape has shifted away from hanging a shingle or joining a small practice. It's definitively moved towards large practice when they're in private practice and or being employed. I don't think that's out of line with what you see from young physicians going through training who are millennials, Gen Ys, Gen Zs, who tend to see the landscape of working to live as opposed to living to work, who tend to see the world of work a little differently. Uh, They look at balance as a different part of the equation than we used to 30 to 40 years ago when the last of the baby boomers and um my generation gen x was kind of coming through and so you're left with a group of people who is not necessarily looking at first generation creation of wealth or family security but rather downstream from that for many of the folks in medicine today and i think that plays out writ large across every sector of the economy not just healthcare but it plays out really in a disruptive way in healthcare for physician employment because they're showing up very differently than we expect them to when we employ them. And it means that we have to think about how we engage as physicians differently. Some of it, some of it means looking at productivity differently. Some of it means sort of the soft factors, the psychology of how they interact with a company or a practice. And there's no, I, I think the biggest lesson I've learned over this last 20 years, there is no right or wrong answer Globally, there are right and wrong employment scenarios for different physicians, just like there are for you and I, in a job that we might take. But
0: but, but it's a fascinating, fascinating perspective. And I, and I want to set one staging of it. Then I want to ask you probably what is what is a really important question. Um, and the important question is where are physicians happiest? And you'll talk about that in a second. But but I, I'll, I'll take you back a step because I, I'm of course a little bit older than you are, and in the generation I grew up, in it was doctors coming out of the army it was it was first generation first generation immigrant doctors it was maybe the second generation of a family the first professional in the family and it was um you know and people were very very hard hardwired on this concept of developing some sort of independence financial independence other kinds of independence and so forth so led a lot of people to be very focused on Independent or small practice where they can have control of their lives, make money, not have somebody else control their lives, and so, forth and so on. And then the world is fast forward 20, 30, 40 years, and the world changed so much. Uh, you know, you, you, you don't necessarily have uh, a lot of these first generation folks going to the small towns and so forth, hanging up a shingle or building a surgical practice. Hard to build an independent surgical practice. Uh, tell us a little bit when you look at this today. I mean, there's been so much years in the last 20, 30, 40 years. Uh, since when I was a kid and first, you know, working with and seeing physicians in different parts of the country to today, and and you've got this huge difference. You've got physicians that are still, you know, working for hospital health systems, some working for the United States, some work for big anesthesia companies. Are there any generalities as to where physicians are happier? Because we do see. Physician job satisfaction or or happiness quotient, the most recent reports I saw, if it's not an all-time low, it's very close. Where are physicians happiest?
1: Yeah, I mean, you're hitting it
0: on the head again, as
1: usual, Scott. It's down. And I think I would make the strong argument, just observing colleagues and people that I work with, what you're seeing in private practice even, and what's driven people to alternative models to start with is their ability to execute agency over their own job, even in a private practice, is not the same as it was 50 years ago. So whereas 50 years ago in private practice, i made made all the decisions, called all the shots, had a lot of autonomy and agency over what happened inside of that business. Today, even if you are in private practice, you have very little of that. In today's modern ecosystem of healthcare as a small practice, you're beholden to this complex web of payers and regulatory frameworks and hospital systems that you engage with, as well as patient referral networks that are increasingly controlled and narrow. So that falling out of the ability to execute sort of a degree of autonomy over your own decisions is what it appears to me. And when I talk with folks one-on-one and outside of the office, it's this general notion of That's not the way that I can exercise agency anymore. It's coincided, I think, broadly with this trend towards different employment models, but they appear happiest in scenarios where you and I would be happiest, where we can demonstrate some of our own intellectual agency. These are bright, bright people who are going to seek autonomy of control in every way that they can over their own lives. But I think instead of seeing it as just the job function, where you're seeing this shift is when they're in roles where they feel like it matches their own value system and sort of cultural why to go to work. I think that's why you have such high scores of satisfaction. For example, when Kaiser finds the right doctor, they're incredibly happy. When academia finds the right doctor that's that's sort of built for that work model, they're quite happy. But when you mismatch what somebody is looking for out of a job with what that job's expecting of them, we, we create a, a fairly significant dissonance that makes people very unhappy. And that's been going on now. I mean, just subtract COVID, that's been going on in healthcare for the last 20 years at a, at a global level,
0: fairly rapid pace as well. So, there's really two big, big things there. It, one is this concept of control over one's life, control over one's profession, And and, and your point is so well taken. We always think for young people going into business, going into work, going into a profession, what makes them the most important determinant of their long-term happiness is that they've chosen a path for themselves, I always find. And and that may be a path for themselves that includes not being in control, being part-time, doing something, and basically making the choice. I just wanna make a living, punch in, punch out, do my job, and spend more time with family and other pursuits in life. It it might be somebody else that decides that's not me, I wanna be a a leader, I wanna build things, I wanna build a great practice, I wanna build this, I wanna build that, whatever it might be. But the first concept is those people that are happiest have chosen what they wanna do with their professional careers. The the second thing, and I'll I'll stereotype very broadly, I, I would say that by and large, During the gastroenterology field, by and large, I would say that the gastroenterologists, the orthopedic surgeons, others who still have maintained a decent amount of autonomy, make a great living, feel someone who control of their lives, tend to be happier than some of my colleagues that ended up in other specialties. And that's very broad. I've got a primary care physician That, notwithstanding, having to see so many patients, and so it seems to love what he does. But, but it really is this concept of the anesthesiologists I know that love what they do are the ones that are leading anesthesia groups. They're sort of leaders by nature, and they love doing that. There's others that are punching in and punching out. But I don't know if there's broad generalities to play. But the first broad generality I see is people that choose to do what they want to do versus it chosen for them. So the parent loves the fact that you're going to med school, the student necessarily doesn't, and they start this track for a long period of time within a secure profession, but not necessarily in a happy profession. But then within that, it's very determined by the individual deciding what they want to do. Robbie, tell me what your thoughts are on this. What I see is I see happy gastroenterologists, I see happy orthopedic surgeons, I'm sure a lot of other specialties, but when it comes to mind, when I think about it quickly, those are places where I see like, people seem to be quite pleased with their professions.
1: I think that's right. I think, you know, you can subtract income. I mean, physician income and those specialties you just mentioned has been for the well-run practices, has been growing even against inflation, while other professions have not. So it's hard to say that they're making less is why they're unhappy. And I think it does come down to am I choosing from a, a destiny standpoint to take it to the next level of discussion? Do I have a say in what's happening to me? And do I feel like I have a voice? And in most cases, I think most physicians would also strongly prefer to have a vote in addition to the voice. And that's true for any sort of high intellect, high agency type of professional. And I think that's, that's where you see broader happiness is when people feel like they have a voice, they have a vote, and it aligns with what they want to do. Like you, I've seen plenty of physicians that, that we work with who often are very interested in business or art or take your pick. And when I ask them, well, why didn't you why didn't you pursue that? And the common refrain, particularly from those over the age of about 50 to 55, is it, it, that was not an option in my house. You, you were going to be a doctor. And that's simply the way that it was going to work out. You could do the other things that you were interested in in your own time. And that that sets the stage for some... Some general level of dissatisfaction at, at minute one, in my opinion.
0: I mean, a hundred percent. I mean, you start with certainly. I grew up in a community, and it was a, it was a you know community. It was not that was fine. But was you had a choice you could be a lawyer, doctor, an accountant, and those were your three choices. If you weren't one of those, you basically were disinherited as a as a at that point as a son. The same <laughs> may be true of daughters today. Different communities were very much direct and this is what you're going to do, and you often came from families that did not have financial security and thought this was the pathway to success here to have some sort of you know financial security, and not just what people wanted to do. But and I don't know that it necessarily worked out so poorly, but but certainly. As people get into this next level of professionalism, they have a a, a view of being a physician that may have been very different than what it was 20 years ago, and they end up, in some big practices, really just being an employee with little control over their lives. Perspective on that, does that last for the long run? Is that why we're going to have these horrible shortages of physicians? We're already in a spot where something like half the physicians are part-time within 10 years of getting out of residency. I mean, and that's just going to leave us with tremendous shortages if we don't start to figure this out better, isn't it?
1: I think that's it's exactly right. We're going to have to think differently. And I think that encompasses everybody in healthcare. There's so many stakeholders. I mean, think back 50 years, the physician, uh, very much like the airline pilots of 100 years ago, an airline, an airline was a man who had a plane, generally, very few women. And you paid him to fly you somewhere. And eventually that got to be a very complex entity like Delta that required a lot of people. Healthcare has done the same. You brought a chicken to your primary care doctor, you handled whatever it was you needed, and you felt better and he had food. Or you paid him if you were well enough off to do that. And we've moved into this very complex team sport uh, where you're managing as a physician enormous teams of resources around you. Data technology, and that requires us rethinking the entire game. You would never design the U.S. healthcare system from ground zero. If you and I were tasked with designing a healthcare system today, we wouldn't design it the way that it is today. It's very misaligned from a standpoint of stakeholders' voices and votes. The question is, how can we think about that as as a place where physicians work? I personally suggest that it starts with listening. Asking what folks want and asking what's important to people. And you get different answers to your point originally from a 60-year-old physician than you do from a 30-year-old physician. And you get different answers from somebody who's in a very high dollar spine surgery specialty, for example, than you do from somebody who's in pediatric primary care. Uh, it's a more oxytocin level profession versus a more dopamine level profession, if you want to think about it that way. So... But you've got to start where people are. You've got to listen and you've got to ask. And people who are in the position of employing those folks, we have to ask. We have to listen. And we have to make sure that we're acting on the feedback that we get. Again, I think this is nothing different than everywhere else in the world of high agency employment, including consulting, accounting, uh, engineering. uh, Look across different sectors at what's happening um, and was accelerated by the events of the last four years. It's given us a, an interesting opportunity to really rethink what this new model might look like, how we should work better as a team, and not to over parallel the airline business, but you know, the, the, the pilot is not flying the plane that you're on. He's managing the systems that are flying the plane, um, yet you're not likely to get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot, and I think that last part often gets left off of the sentence when we talk about shifting the model for medicine the fear of irrelevance, the fear of not having a vote and a voice, we forget to say that you have the most important voice and vote in the room. It's just we're going to be voting on some different things.
0: It sure is a complicated issue because we are so in need of physicians, nurses, leaders, and so forth. And, and you run a major, major GI organization in practice and surgery center platform. How do these issues impact how you go about leadership in your sector how do you think about that because these are all things that are that are very much you know very much in the forefront is to physician you can't do anything without your physicians and so how do you think about these issues of physician roles and how they how they work how what they want to do how do you manage that from your perspective as the ceo of a major gi platform
1: starts with a lot of conversations um we spend I spend all of my time around one specific thing and that's alignment. And when I talk about alignment with our physicians and our physician leaders and even our executive leaders, we talk a lot about listening to the stakeholders, particularly the physicians and what alignment looks like for them. And you're correct. You cannot run any group of physicians bigger than 50 to 80, without getting some form of representative governance in, in place. You can't make every decision on consensus, which means you've got to be well aligned. And so we spend a lot of time building trust with each other, with the physician leaders. We spend a lot of time asking people what they want, uh, what they want out of employment. And we spend a lot of time challenging our assumptions on what working together as physicians, as a, as a large entity looks like. And our kind of internal rule is we don't, we don't rely on the assumptions. Just because we did it that way for 30 years doesn't mean we have to do it that way for the next 30. So let's talk about the ideas that you guys have. From shared work, uh, we've, we've looked at joint partnership models where, where two physicians can, for example, share what was a partnership in the entity to looking at all other types of flexible practice models that keep us relevant and keep the workforce engaged, but also address what people are asking for. And that's, that's gonna require a lot of retooling. So I spend all of my time um, on most days engaged in thinking about this, talking about this and listening, because you're correct, without the physicians, the practice crumbles, the entire platform begins to simply dissolve upon itself. And so having engaged and meaningfully participating physicians is the entire ballgame. And it's, it's just the whole shooting match from a standpoint of where to focus executive energy. The trick is getting everybody accountable to the same goals that the platform, the team, the entity, the business, the, or the practice is trying to do. And I wouldn't say we're perfect at it, but we, we also challenge everything that we've we've ever known to be true. COVID's given us that first belief, right? We, it's given us permission to challenge anything that we know.
0: <laughs> but, but, but you and I know you don't have to be perfect at it, but the fact that you're actually engaging and trying is a big part of the battle. And, and, and the second thing I find, and I'm curious your you on this, if you have energetic, driven physicians that want to be involved in leadership, if you don't find ways for them to be involved in leadership, then they ended up being disgruntled physicians too. So it doesn't mean they have to lead everything. They don't have to be a CEO, they have to be this, they don't have to be that. There's got to be roles for people because people that, that are high energy and motivated and driven to be leaders, if they don't have roles, they tend to become very disgruntled. I don't know if that's your perspective or not. That is
1: 100% my perspective. We spend a great deal of time finding what those roles are. In the same way that we would do for an executive, a junior executive or a senior executive, what do you want to do? You have to find ways for people to participate in, in a manner they feel like they are contributing, that they have value, and that, that they can see the results of what that effort is. And that's the challenge in a nutshell is finding those roles, those spaces, and those methodologies that are going to include people across the spectrum of desire.
0: Thank you. Robbie Allen, again, CEO, 1GI, brilliant and thoughtful leader. I want to thank you for joining us today again on the Becker's Healthcare Podcast, Becker Private Equity and Becker Business Minute Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today.
1: Thanks, Scott. Always a pleasure.